Second Kings chapter four, verse eight. This is a one of my favorite stories in the Old Testament. And I'm going to paraphrase for the sake of time, but I'll probably read a few verses here and there. But it says that it happened one day that Elijah went to Shunem, where there was a notable woman, and she persuaded him to eat some food. And so it was that as often as he passed by, he would turn in there and eat some food. And she said to her husband, Look now, I know this is a holy man of God who passes by us regularly. Please let us make a small upper room on the wall, and let us put a bed for him there, and a table, and a chair, and a lampstand, so that it will be whenever he comes to us, he can turn in there. And it happened one day that as he came there, he turned into the upper room and he laid down there. This story is a picture really, in the Old Testament, we didn't have the Holy Spirit that came upon us all. We had the Holy Spirit was, was, was represented by a man or a prophet in the land. And so this, this prophet represents the Holy Spirit. And a lot of us are, are, feel the Holy Spirit once in a while. We get a few goosebumps and we're satisfied just to have his presence once in a while. But this lady made a room for him to come in and turn in and lay down. So she made a place for him. And so he says, say now, verse 13, say now to her, look, you have been concerned for us and all this care. What can I do for you? Do you want me to speak on your behalf to the king or to the commander of the army? And she answered, I dwell with my own people. Then he said, what can I do for you? Then Gehazi, his servant, says, actually, she has no son and her husband is old. So she called, so, she, so he said to her, call her. And when he had called her, she stood in the doorway. Then he said, about this time next year, you shall embrace a son. And she said, no, my Lord, man of God, do not lie to your maidservant. But the woman conceived and bore a son. Then at the appointed time had come when Elijah had told her. And the child grew, and the child grew. When you make room for God in your life, and you go beyond just being the ordinary go-to-church Christian, but you're hungry for something and hungry to fulfill your destiny in God, and when you make that room for God, that intimacy with the Lord is where pregnancy comes. And through that time of intimacy and that time of just uh, spending time with the Lord, he gave her a son. And she was like, don't, don't fool with me. I'm not asking for anything. I just wanted to make room for you. And that's the way it is. God's not looking for those that are out there seeking for a ministry or seeking for a name for themselves. He's looking for those that are just seeking for intimacy. And all true intimacy, all true ministry flows out of intimacy with the Lord. It's not what you know, it's who you know. And so we make it about what you know, and therefore we've got a church that's kind of ever learning but never coming to the understanding. But, so, but, but Galatians says, he who works miracles among you, does he do it by the observing of the law? In other words, if you do it by, by methods and manuals and always teaching, no, he does it by the, or does he do it by the hearing that comes by faith? And so miracles happen from the hearing that comes by faith in that place of intimacy. Jesus' ministry was simply spending time with the Father. And Jesus, having been on the mountainside, looked at the man and said, stretch forth your hand. And Jesus, having been with the Father, looked at the man and said, rise up and walk. I mean, everything flowed out of his intimate, personal time with the Father. And so that place of intimacy is the place of pregnancy. And so you get pregnant with a cause. I mean, you're not even looking for it, but suddenly it's like God puts a desire in you, and you begin to have a desire for your city or a desire for your neighborhood, and it begins to give you, suddenly it's tag, you're it. It begins to give you strategies and things that, you know, to go do it, and even things that you weren't looking for. And so this is, this is, a, this is the way God works is through that place of just making room for him in your life. If you'll make room for him, he'll make room for you. Hallelujah. But what happens, when, what happens when we get that vision is that vision is tested. 
Turn over, I'm going to read uh, Psalm 105. Debbie was talking about Joseph earlier and it reminded me. But it says, when Joseph received the vision, so Joseph gets his vision. It says, Joseph received the vision, but he was sold as a slave, and they hurt his feet with fetters, and he was laid in irons until the time that the word of the Lord came to pass, until the time that the word of the Lord proved him true. In other words, the word of the Lord tested him until the word of the Lord proved him true. And there's that testing period of the time that you get the vision until the time that the vision is manifested, and that's where you grow in the things of the Lord. I mean, Joseph got the vision, and he immediately thought it was going to come to pass. You know, they're going to bow down to me and worship me, and I'm going to be the head over my family, you know. I mean, he had a vision, but he didn't have any wisdom. So it's interesting to me that Joseph, the very thing that got him thrown in prison was a dream from God, and the very thing that got him out of prison was the interpretation of a dream from God. So, I mean, the thing that got him in is the same thing, same thing that got him out. But when he went into prison, he had no interpretation of his dream. But when he came out, he had not only interpretation of his dream and who he was and his destiny, but he also had interpretation of the dreams of others and their destiny. So when you're in the prison place, the, the scripture, one translation says they, that his soul went down into the irons. His soul literally went down into the pit. And when you're being tried by God, I mean, you go down into the depths of things. Marcus uh, gave me a word the other day. He said, you know, you, God's taking you down into the deep because he wants to bring deep things out of you. God takes us down into deep places and, and hard places, and that's where the deep things come, are given to us that we have to share with others, with the comfort that we receive in those places and the, the revelations that we get. So once you get a vision, the vision tries you until the word of the Lord comes to pass. When God visited Abraham in the Old Testament, the father of our faith, it says that that Abraham went out not knowing where he was going, but seeking a city which had foundations, whose builder and maker is God. I mean, that's, that's, the, that's the, the journey of every believer. God doesn't tell you how to do it. He doesn't tell you when you're going to arrive. He doesn't tell you how you're going to get there. But you have to take that first step. And so Abraham takes a step of faith, and it says that there was a famine in the land. And you know, a lot of times when you start off with God, there's a, it's a dry place. There's a famine in the land. And so you've got to depend upon him for every morsel, every meal, every nugget of encouragement you can get. And, and if you remember correctly, he, you know, he took nephew, his, his nephew Lot with him. And it says that, that they grew so much and prospered so much. Even though there was a famine in the land, the land couldn't contain them both. And so there was like contention between the two tribes of Lot and Abraham. So Abraham says, hey, Lot. You know, two can't walk together unless we be of one accord. He said, Lot, whichever, if you go to the left, I'll go to the right, but you choose which way you want to go. But Lot looked up in the natural, and he saw Sodom, and it, was a, it said it was a walled city that was well watered. And so he went to a place that was already built, already constructed, but when Abraham started, he looked up, and he just saw the plains of Hebron, and it was just a famine in the land. But what Abraham saw by faith, God built, and what Lot saw in the natural, God destroyed. And so what is born of the Spirit is life. What's birthed in you and what's birthed in you by a visitation from the Holy Spirit and that dream and that purpose, even though it may feel like it's dead, even though it may feel like it's a drought condition, it's going to, God in the appointed time, it's going to raise up and fulfill that purpose and that desire that God sent you his word to do. Amen? Even Jacob, you know, I thought about um, uh, Elijah and how, it's so important what we, what we think about in, in those times of famine, in those times of weariness, that we don't look at our circumstances. You know, in every, every trial I've ever gone, gone through, I had to get the victory in the midst of the trial before I got the victory over the trial. Does that make sense? It's like there may be a storm, but the storm is not 
affecting me. Whatever it is, it's like I'm no longer affected by it. How can I say this? It's like the storm doesn't have me. I have the storm. Even though the circumstances are still the same, the circumstances aren't affecting me. It's not affecting my peace or my joy or my rest in the Lord. It's like I can't get out of this any more, any faster than God takes me out of it. And I think, you know, like Jesus, remember when he was in his disciples? It's Mark chapter 4, I believe. He's in the boat with his disciples, and a storm comes up, you know, and he's asleep in the boat, you know. And, and his disciples are all fretful and frightened because of the waves and everything. And so they wake him up, and he, they say, don't you care that we perish? And so he rebukes the storm, and, it, and it's still. He says, peace, be still. But then he turns to his disciples and says, where was your faith? And what he was saying was not that they didn't have any faith, but that their faith was in the, cla- in the wind and the waves and the, and the storms and the circumstances, and their faith wasn't in Jesus. It's not, it's not how much faith we have, it's the object of our faith. And so he was saying, where was your faith? And, and I really, you cannot have authority over a storm that you cannot sleep in. If you can't, the reason why Jesus had authority over the, over the storm is because he able, was able to sleep in the storm. He had peace. It's the peace of God that crushes Satan under your feet. I was thinking, I was thinking the other day, um, you know, when you go out and minister, sometimes stuff follows you home, you know, and we were, we were somewhere, and I don't know what we had ministered somewhere. We get back, and we're in bed, and suddenly there's this just demonic manifestation in the room. I usually don't talk about stuff like this, but it was so funny because I, I saw this thing, and I, I got up out of bed, and I swung my pillow at it and, <laughs> and, and rebuked it, you know. And, uh, well, yeah, I mean, but it was reaction, but it wasn't really, it was, a carnal weapon, to be honest with you, <laughs> you know? and it didn't really have the effect that I wanted, although I didn't see it anymore, but until I got back in bed and just began to kind of pray in the spirit and, and not respond in the flesh, a lot of times we, we respond in the flesh, even with spiritual weapons, we can use them in a carnal way, and what I'm saying is, is that we have to wait and, and, and stay in a place of peace, sometimes the enemy just wants attention, you know, I mean, sometimes we just get off into all fret and worry, and we get sidetracked, and that's what he's wanting. He's wanting us not to react to the storm, but to react, well, react, but react by the Holy Spirit and not by the arm of the flesh. Even with spiritual weapons, even using the word, a lot of times we're just waving stuff around, and we're not really waiting on the Lord. And back to my, our bedrooms deal, I got back in bed, we began to worship the Lord, then the peace of God came, and everything left, you know. The pillow really didn't do any good, it just kind of... <laughs> Kind of felt good, you know. But I did whack him. I knew right where he was, didn't I? Debbie says, well, if you didn't see him, how did, I saw him, but I didn't, I couldn't make him out like she did. She says, man, you hit him right upside the head. So. <laughs> anyway. But if you remember uh, Elijah, for example, I mean, in, where is that? I think I wrote that down. First Kings 19, the end of First Kings in, in, in verse 18, he has the, the Mount Carmel experience where he calls down fire from heaven, a great victory, kills all the prophets of Baal. I mean, he barely has a day off, and Jezebel curses him and says, you know, by tomorrow I'm going to have your head on a platter or whatever he said, you know, I'm going to kill you, whatever. And it says this, it says when he saw it, he ran. It didn't say when he heard what Jezebel said. It says when he saw it, he ran from the presence of God. And so a lot of times it's, it's what we imagine. It's, it's like when a doctor gives us a bad report, we can hear it with our natural ears, but we don't have to begin to envision it and see it 
and dwell on it. Because it's a high thing. It's a vain imagining that exalts itself above the word of God, the purpose of God, and the destiny of God for your life. So we need to learn how to hold those thoughts captive. Like Elijah, he saw it. He saw what she said and, and got into fear. Um, if you look at, um, I thought about this story a long time ago, but remember Jacob in the Old Testament? He, there's this weird story where he's, he, he's getting his wife, Rachel, and um, he served Laban, I guess is his, his uncle. And he goes and he serves Laban for seven years to get a bride. And he gets the wrong one. He throws his sister in there. That's weird enough. I'm not going there. And then, and then so later he says, well, you can work for Rachel. So he works for Rachel, you know. And then after that, he wants to go and, and take some of the livestock. But, but he wouldn't let him go. I mean, Laban was just like Jacob. He was a deceiver, grabber, manipulator, you know. And so Laban says, uh, he makes a deal with, with Laban, his uncle. And he says, look, if you'll, I'll take all the spotted and the striped deer and uh, uh, deer uh, spotted and, and striped uh, goats and sheep and you keep all the other ones and so what Jacob did was he remember this story is weird he paints these 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 stripes and these fence posts and stuff at the watering hole so that when the when the uh, the sheep went to water every day that they would you know when they reproduce they reproduce spotted and striped animals I mean that's just kind of weird so I, I just said Lord that's the weirdest story and I was praying about it one day and he began to show me, first of all, about the watering hole is a place where animals go to water in the morning and then they go to water again at night. And in between, they, they're working. They're, they're out there looking for food and foraging for food, okay? But that's the resting place is when they go to water. It's when they go to nourish and refresh themselves. And the Lord said to me, he said, he said, whatever, he said, you will always reproduce what you dwell on at the watering hole of your life. And so if you're going to reproduce in your environment, what you dwell on throughout the day. And God wants us to think on those things which are above. And I think now in the season that we're in more than ever, we've got to have our mind fixed, our heart fixed on those things that are above and not get tossed to and fro by all the, the, the winds of doctrine and all the, the news that's, that's coming at us uh, every day through, you know, Facebook and the telephones and all the stuff that we've got. I mean, I wake up in the morning, I get Newsmax and World Net Daily, and just the headlines will make you sick before you even get in the Word, you know. So God wants us to, to have that, that tunnel vision where we can shut out the things of this world. And um, I remember when I was first uh, saved, I got so caught up in the presence of God, I just spent, I, I just lived in God's presence, really. And I was just, I call it a weeping prophet, just kind of hidden in the closet, you know. And I remember I went through uh, all the, two or three different presidencies, there was hurricanes, there was things that I didn't even hear about for weeks, you know. And I'm sure, you know, a lot of people were just all fretful, all this stuff, and I just was just hidden in my little place with God. And so life goes on while we're, you know, while, we're, while destiny is beating in our heart, you know. And so God wants us to, to know that there's a destiny on your life. No matter what your circumstances look like, God is keeping your destiny alive. I mean, Moses had it in his heart to be a deliverer of God's people, and there he is for 40 years just wandering around in the wilderness following sheep and goats. And all the while, he's a man of destiny. I mean, he's one of the greatest men in the Bible, and there he is for 40 years of his life just hanging out, just following. And, but then there was a day when he turned aside and saw the burning bush. You know, I mean, so everything can change in one day, one visitation, one moment from God. So back to our story. So the child grew, 
And then one day he went out to his father and he said, My head, my head. And she said to a servant carrying to his mother. And when he had taken him and brought him to his mother, he sat at her knees till noon and then he died. And she went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God, shut the door upon him and went out. You know, a lot of times when you're, when you're walking with God, I mean, the fire of God, the passion, the, the desire that you have to serve God and to go do what he's called you to do, you go out there and for no circumstances of its own, things just happen. You know, David had it in his heart to bring the ark up before the Lord. And on the way up there, you know, Obed-Edom, or not Obed-Edom, but one of the men, Uzzah, strike, pushes out his hand and, and touches the ark trying to steady it, and it died, and things blew up. And, you know, we've been through that. We've been through desiring to see the ark of God come into a city and change everything and bring his presence in and then suddenly see strife and people and things blew up and people died, you know. And, and, and you just sit there and you go, man, you know, I could just... I could just go and, and build my house and retire and, and, and not even try this again. But then it said this. It says, but David got a report that everything that Obed-Edom did was prospered. They left the ark at a man named Obed-Edom's house, and David went back to Jerusalem without it. But then he heard the report that Obed-Edom was blessed. And I tell you, the presence of God, which is what the ark represents, when you get the presence of God in your life, everything you put your hands to is blessed. Every prayer you pray is anointed. I tell you, God wants us to, to be a people of his presence. When, when Moses cried out and said, Lord, lest your presence go with me, don't send me, God answered him and said, surely my presence will go with you, and thus I will distinguish you between all the other people of the earth. And we as Christians, we have our language and our little Jesus loves you buttons and all these things that distinguish us, and really what we need is the presence, the tangible presence of God that just takes the anointing into every situation, the dry cleaners, the Walmarts, your job, your business, where you literally shift the atmosphere by just carrying the weighty presence of God. That's what the Lord's releasing right now. But this woman, here she is. She's pregnant with a son that she didn't even ask for. She's got this desire, this burden, this cause that she wasn't looking for, and suddenly it died. And so she goes, but here's what she did. She didn't go looking for a book at the library. You know, she didn't go look at She went back to the very source that got her pregnant in the first place. And so she goes to the man of God, and she goes straight forth to him. And, she's in, in, and the man of God, Elijah, sees her coming from a long way off, and he tells his servant to go out there and meet her. So his servant, Gehazi, goes out there to meet her and says, is it well with you? Is it well with your child? And she just said, it's well. In other words, she didn't want to talk to a man of God or a woman of God. She wanted to go back to the very thing, the Holy Spirit, that she wanted to go right after him that got her and promised her the, uh, the son in the first place. And so it's, it's um, so finally she gets to Elijah, and Elijah tells his servant, says, look, go get the staff and go lay it on the child. And, and, and she said, and he, I think he told her to go with him too, and she says, no, I shall not leave you. And she clung to his feet while he's telling her this, he goes, I will not leave you unless you come. And so she wasn't going to satisfy, it was just some man of God or some servant of the Holy Spirit going to her son, but she was holding on to him. And so anyway, the servant does go. He puts the staff on the child. And in the Bible, the staff always represents the law. And a lot of time when something dies in you, you turn back to the law and you try to figure out what you did wrong, where you missed it, and you just come, I don't know about you, the more I get under condemnation, the further away I get from the presence of God, you know. And so a lot of times that staff will not resurrect something that's been birthed by the Spirit. And so she had to go back very much to the man. And so finally the man of God comes, and he lays down upon her, upon the son, 
up in his bed, and it's like he lays down, the Bible says it's like eyeball to eyeball, mouth to mouth, hand to hand, and stretches himself out over that child. And that's a picture of the Holy Spirit just descending upon you and upon your vision and upon the cause that God puts in our hearts to bring it back to life again. And so a lot of us, we go through things, you know, where we just get hit by the enemy in a place where it's like our soul goes down to the pit. It goes down in the irons. I remember, um, I think it's Psalm 39, David says, when I was surrounded by my enemies, I purposed in my heart not to say anything, not even anything good. But while I sat quietly, my heart grew hot within me and my anguish increased. And then he says, I spoke with my, and finally he goes, I spoke with my mouth and I voiced my complaint before the Lord. You know, sometimes you just get to a place where you just got to shout it out. You just got to get out. You know, the enemy will try to shut you down, try to steal your song, try to steal your voice, try to steal your vision and your hope. And it's like you just, you come into a place where your soul is in those irons, and that's the time you just got to get, and whatever it's in you, no matter how it sounds, there's no perfect way to do it. You just got to let it out before God. He's big. God can handle our complaints. And David voiced his complaint before God. And, and, and this woman, I love her heart because she says, when she gets to the man of God, she goes, didn't I say when you first promised me this son that it was not my desire? Didn't I say that, that this was not my plan? And that's where, I, that's where we all are when it comes to our vision from God. When God gives you a vision, it's, you're pregnant with it. I mean, when Jesus went to the cross, I mean, his disciples had it all figured out. They had walked with him for three and a half years, saw signs, wonders, and miracles, did signs, wonders, and miracles, knew, had the revelation that he was the Messiah, and yet one day he shows up and he says, hey, this time, to, you know, now you see me, but this, but this time tomorrow you will see me no more. And they wondered what he meant, and he said, he said I tell you plainly, he says, I'm going to the cross. He said, you're going to be like a woman, you're like a woman who's come to the point of birth. And you're going to be vexed, and you're going to be in great travail until you see me again. But when you see me again, your joy shall be restored, and no one shall ever take it from you again. And I'm telling you that there's a visitation that God wants to bring to restore your heart, to restore the cause, to restore the purpose and the destiny that's in your heart. And there's also an anointing for those that have never really uh, felt or, or been in that place where the Holy Spirit just speaks to them and talks to them. But I, I want this morning to be a time of... of, of understanding that that God has your purpose and your destiny secure in his hand. You know, Debbie shared a message a couple years ago, and it was the day, it was called the day before the day. And there was a day before the day that Moses turned aside to see a burning bush. There was a day before the day that Esther was called to come before the king. There was a day before the day that Joseph was called up to come before Pharaoh and his whole life was changed. There's a day before the day and today could be the day that's before the day that we have a vision. And, and people grow weary. The enemy tries to get you so weary and so frustrated and so um, caught up in your circumstances and your trials and your lack and, and all the other things that you forget your destiny and your purpose and the cause that God puts in you. So this morning, I believe God wants to come and, 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 and rebirth and visit you with a fresh wind of his spirit and resurrect things that have died in you, things where you've just been hopeless or discouraged or you felt like you lost the passion that began in you when you first got saved, when God first spoke his purpose, his plan into your heart. Amen? Amen. Let's stand up. Hallelujah.
you know, I just hear, I just reminded of a scripture the Lord just spoke to my heart. Ezekiel 12, I believe it is. I'm not sure of the verse. I think it was like 27 or something like that. But it says that no longer shall the word of the Lord be postponed. No longer shall the vision tarry for the time is at hand in the fulfillment of every vision. In fact, he said, he told the prophet, he said, lay this proverb aside that the people of Israel speak, saying that the word that he speaks is for a long time off and the vision for, is for many days. For the time is at hand, the fulfillment of every vision. We're standing in such a great hour that we don't want to let discouragement, disappointment of the past keep us from fulfilling that foreordained, chosen destiny that God has for us. Amen. Father, just lift your hands. Father, we just pray today. Not by our might or power, but Lord, I pray, uh, Job 22, Lord, where it says, when the enemy says there'd be a casting down, that we would say, no, there would be a lifting up, and there would be a lifting up. And Lord, I just pray a lifting up today. I just pray, Lord, that there'd be a fresh wind of your spirit, that Lord, you would come and breathe life upon every vision, upon every calling, upon every destiny, upon every plan, every purpose that you've birthed, that not one word that you've spoken over your people, Not one word you've spoken over Dallas, Texas, would fall to the ground. That, Lord, that everything would come to pass just as you have spoken. That there would be no abortions, that there would be no death of vision. Lord, we just speak life to every vision. We speak breath to every vision. Lord, we thank you, Father, like uh, Nehemiah. Lord, you took him up in the night and you showed him the wall. Father, I think that you're going to take people up in the night. There's going to be a fresh visitation. That you're going to begin to show people the earth from your viewpoint. Isaiah 51 says, look up to the heavens and behold the earth. Father, I thank you there's a beholding of the earth from God's perspective. That, Lord, that people would see where they are. They would see it not as the end of something, but as the beginning of something. That, Lord, that you brought them out to bring them into a foreordained, chosen place. I thank you, Father, that, uh, Lord, even as we've seen the, the extremes in, in the natural, Lord, like, I mean, you know, last year we're in an extreme drought, and now we're at flood stage. I mean, there's extremes going on. I mean, everything is an extreme. There's nothing that's, that's just, you know, mediocre. And so, Father, we just thank you for an extreme flood stage. That, Father, that we go from drought to just abundance of rain. Lord, pour out your spirit, Lord. We just ask you for a fresh outpouring, Father, this day. And we thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.